0: Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring
1: the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Herald Podcast, the Amethyst
0: Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and
1: Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com.
0: Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson,
2: Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer,
0: J. David Weeder.
1: Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey,
2: Scott Gardner,
0: Sam Rizzo, Danny Sab,
1: Matthew Epps, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V at
2: supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Hello, hello, and welcome to the 96th episode of Superman and the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and I have no idea what accent this is, so I'm just going to stop. Before we get too far into this episode, I would like to point out that this ep- that this one is brought to you by our friends at My Digital Comics, an up-and-comer in the digital comics marketplace. My Digital Comics provides fans an affordable digital option for their comics, and offers titles in PDF, CBZ, and page Flipper formats, offering titles from publishers like Boom, Dynamite, Top Cow, Ad House, Tomorrows, and many more. My Digital Comics Association with DCBS and In Stock Trades does more than just provide readers with an immediate opportunity to own either the digital or print versions of some of their favorite titles in a format that they want. It also brings them at the price points they want, except for free, because that would be bad business. You can find My Digital Comics on the web at MyDigitalComics.com. This episode is also sponsored by previous guests to the show, fellow podcaster, friend, and all-around good guy, Michael Bailey. Thank you, sir. Michael's a young up-and-comer in the podcast field, and he does a few podcasts that you may have heard of, including Radio KAL Live, From Crisis to Crisis, Views from the Long Box, comics monthly monday and he just returned to spider-man crawlspace but enough about him this is my show and we got some feedback to go over real quick this is from mr russell bragg and he writes if i can get this to and he writes hello charlie and david it's almost here episode 100 I'm sure you have it all mapped out, and I cannot wait. I wanted to thank you both for answering my DC Comics Presents question. I totally forgot about the Robin issue. It happened to be the next one in my collection that I needed, so I went to eBay and won it. That's just how I roll. I truly enjoy the second stories, entitled Whatever Happened To, which I guess they thought justified the 50 cent price tag. So far, my favorite of those was Whatever Happened To The Golden Aged Adam. I'm sure as I continue collecting the issues, there might be another one I like better. But I am in, or I am sure as I can continue, I'm sure as I continue collecting the issues, there might be another one I like better. I am enjoying both of your segments. I wish I could follow yours more, Charlie, but by the time I get the comics, you'll probably already have covered it. So I'll just continue to listen intently. Better close for now. Hope all is well with both of you. Toodles, toodles really toodles well thank you very much Russell I'm sorry you can't follow along with mine that well Um, but you know if you want I don't mind it if you want to you know either save them or download them again later once you get the comics so you can follow along again I'll even just leave all the words that I say exactly the same so it'll be like you're listening to it for the first time how's that deal okay cool Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. I prowl
1: the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil.
0: (coughs) (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not daredevil. Blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night? No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster. But you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare?
1: My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek OK, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like?
0: Comic books.
1: I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox: A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromalongbox.com,
2: We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Superman number 316 had a cover date of October 1977 and an on-sale date of July 11th, 1977, with a cover price of 35 cents. The title of the story is The Heart Attack That Crippled Superman Written by Marty Pasco, Penciled by Kurt Swan Inked by Dan Adkins Colored by Jerry Serpe Edited by Julie Schwartz And in the newest credit in the credit box Lettered by Ben Oda That completes the creative team box f- uh, For this era of comics I don't think we got much more Until we get start getting associate editors Later on in the 80s So... We've got the whole crew now. Yay! Our story begins at the Metropolis Museum of Natural History, long before opening, as as Metallo punches Superman into a display while he holds a chunk of newly found kryptonite in his hand. After telling Superman that Roger Corbin is dead and that he now wears a lead-lined mask to prevent Superman from being able to see his new face, Metallo hits Superman with a kryptonite beam, then flies away on his, um, Metallo glider. Recovering slowly, Superman shakily takes to the skies to pursue his foe, giving him time to recap what has happened between the end of last issue and the start of this one. Flashing back, we return back to the Star Labs, where we learn that the supposed kryptonite in the chest of the dead Skull agents from the previous issue is actually just rocks that have been painted green, but we still don't know how how they got inside the agents. When we then learned that Dr. Clyburn is the new acting director of Star since the disappearance of Dr. Albert Michaels, which occurred at about the same time as the apparent theft of a top-secret experimental device that only he seemed to know anything about. Also missing is Starb's, Starb's, Also missing is Star's file listing the locations of all known kryptonite that has recently fallen to Earth. But that isn't as big a deal because the file was also stored on the computers. So after Superman gets a copy off of the computer, and feeling uneasy about the idea of more kryptonite falling to Earth, Superman then flew out to the city morgue to learn that Metallo's body is no longer there, indicating that he's returned. Back in the present, the Man of Steel has caught up to his quarry and follows him into the Metropolis Bay Tunnel. Inside, Superman flies close enough for Metallo to kick him, but distracts Metallo enough for him to find himself dangerously close to a semi. With no time to pull up or stop, Metallo is able to quickly adjust the controls of his glider so that he flies sideways, which allows him to dodge and fly around the truck. But leaves Superman without enough time to prevent himself from crashing through the trailer. While Superman recovers, Metallo steals steals I can't read. While Superman recovers, Metallo steers his glider to the transit police path that runs along the tunnel wall and crashes into an officer causing him to fall into the path of an oncoming car. But Superman swoops in and saves the officer, allowing Metallo to escape while Superman takes the officer to the hospital. After leaving the hospital, Superman flies back to WGBS for an appointment that Clark Kent cannot miss. Inside, Edge teases Clark some more about the mysterious anchorwoman he's bringing on to join Clark on the 6 o'clock report. Edge then introduces Clark to his new associate producer, Martin Corda. Edge sends them off to get to know each other a little bit better but before they can say a word to each other, Lois meets up with them in the hallway and offers to ride the elevator down to the commissary with them for lunch. But while Lois and Clark get in the elevator just fine, Corda gets left out in the hall. By the time they are able to get the elevator doors open again, Corda is gone, so the reporters head down, down to lunch by themselves. They decide to go out for lunch so that they can talk about their relationship since they haven't had much of a chance to talk or do much of anything together since they got back from Central City. After agreeing that they will still remain friends even though they're no longer dating, Clark spots metallo in the skies with his supervision. As they walk out of the building, Clark spins around through the revolving door at super speed, just like in Superman the movie, and takes off as Superman, leaving Lois to wonder where her friend went. In the state caverns, Metello has all of the rock samples Placed in a bag When Superman arrives To take on Metallo Superman suddenly Starts feeling weak And we learn That it turns out That the state caverns Was on Star's list And that some of the samples Are really kryptonite That had been carried Into the cave By an underground stream As Metallo runs off After hitting Superman With the bag of rocks Superman uses his super breath To blow the rocks away And then chases after him But a blast of kryptonite From Metallo's chest Knocks the action ace Down again But he gets up again You know you're never Going to keep Superman down Running ahead, Metallo grabs a kryptonite meteor from the stream and replaces the almost-spent chunk in his chest, but as Superman enters the scene, he punches him to the other side of the stream. After trading blows and kryptonite blasts, Superman uses his heat vision to break off a stalactite, which stabs Metallo right through the chest, reducing the kryptonite to supposedly useless pebbles. Inserting a small vial of uranium in Metallo's chest to keep him alive. He helps the villain out of the cave, but before they get too far, Superman stumbles, still weakened by the kryptonite. Metello uses this opportunity to hit Superman in the head with the same stalactite, knocking him out. While Superman lies unconscious among the remnants of the kryptonite that was useless before, but apparently is still having an effect on our Man of Steel, Metello heads back to his glider to wait for Superman to die, so he can have the Man of Steel's heart and get it implanted in his chest. Alright, notes for this bad boy First of all, the cover The cover is drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Praise be his name Without any inking by anyone else And it looks beautiful Very dynamic I love the way Metallo looks I love the way Superman looks And it just looks beautiful As you would come to imagine from a Lopez cover Very nicely done uh... when we start off the issue on page one the art's actually really good here uh... actually i like the art throughout the whole issue other than a few spots where once again atkins does his too many lines making the characters look old thing but for the most part the art looks really good in this issue and i'm really impressed by it uh... let's see going into the scene in the tunnel when we get to page eight there's a weird perspective here After Metello knocks the police officer Off the transit Uh Transit path Yeah the transit police path uh, Superman swoops in and saves him From being hit by a car but the car Looks about like 20 times larger Than Superman or the officer Like it almost looks like A scene as if Superman And the officer had been shrunk And the car Was coming on to get them I don't know if it's just the perspective or what, but the size is all wrong there. At the bottom of page 8, Morgan Edge's head looks drawn really weird. It looks to me like they start, it's almost like Swan had his head at one angle and then they tried to do a paste job to fix the, the head so that you could see his face better but you've got mo- part of his head at one angle and his face at a different angle. It just look- makes it look like he's turned just part of his face or something. It's really, really awkward. It, it just looks really badly deformed. Uh, the next uh, next page, 9 and 10, we have a cute little gag where uh, Edge tries to give Clark some... Well, we don't know what. It looks like it's in an Alka-Seltzer bottle, or... Not an Alka-Seltzer, uh, but in a... Looks like it's in a seltzer water bottle, but it it apparently is some kind of alcohol. Clark doesn't want to drink it, because, you know, it's Clark, so he dumps it into uh, the a plant pot that Edge has in his office, and after Clark is introduced to Martin Corda, and they leave the office, edge goes over to the plant to see it wilting away, as if the alcohol killed it that fast. Now that's not real life, but maybe it's some kind of small little message about don't drink. But I don't know. Uh, Page 11 we get the cool scene of of Clark using the revolving door. Now this is before Superman the movie came out, obviously, since this is 77. In fact, it was released a year before it came out and uh... well actually the cover date is a year before it came out and the release date is about a year and a half before the movie comes out i'm almost wondering if this is a scene they knew about so they used it or if it just is a coincidence as to the use of this scene so close to when the movie's coming out but it's pretty interesting i haven't seen that before in the comics and then of course see it get used so quickly again maybe it's the other way around and they thought that this was really cool and they decided to use it but I know by 77 they were filming stuff and they would have filmed that part of the scene because that was a metropolis building Uh, so maybe they knew about it and decided hey that'd be cool for the comic, I don't know Uh, let's see page... Okay. First of all, this fight with Metello, it's cool because we haven't seen it too much you know, in a long time, but Superman's really getting hit a lot. We see hair getting disheveled, which you never see. Superman sweating, which you never get to see. And uh, it, it just looks pretty cool to see Superman having to deal with Kryptonite again. I really missed it. I mean, yeah, they got a little carried away with it in the Silver Age, but... I really have missed it. It's nice to see that apparently that it is making a comeback here. Uh, page sixteen. Now this is one that thing that always gets me. The stalactite crashes through the kryptonite in Metallo's chest. Now kryptonite is pieces of krypton that have been changed into radioactive, an, a radioactive element. Uh, basically, I would think that that would mean that Kryptonite should be as tough or as un- unbreakable, impenetrable, unstoppable as Superman and Supergirl are, as well as their clothing. But apparently a regular earth stalactite can bust it. Also they point out that this it's ha- a useless pebbles, just a handful of them, well first of all you gotta have a big hand for that, and second of all... Well, as useless as they are, they're doing a pretty good job of keeping Superman knocked out by the um, at the end of the issue, to the point where he could easily die. So I guess you know you really can't say they're useless. But that does. Oh, the other thing I wanted to point out is Metallo's mask. Uh, it's interesting the way it's drawn here. If you look at the mask on the cover by Lopez. It's got a different look to it. I mean, it's basically the same design, but somehow his look uh, w- when Lopez draws it it looks cool. When Swan draws it it looks kind of in a realistic way as if it was used in a uh, How do I want to see how do I want to say it like it was used in a modern for the time sci-fi Story uh, show that didn't have much of a budget, maybe like Doctor Who or one of those Japanese shows like the set Power Rangers and stuff. It, it just looks like a terribly made mask. So, depends on how you look at it, but it, it's kind of weird in a, in a comic book where, you know, technically budget is no option, that the mask would still look like it was crudely made in the 70s but then again it's kurt swan and he that's how he draws so maybe that was the point but that's it for this issue so what i'm going to do is play a couple of more promos for you and when we come back superman 317 superman of the bronze age will be back after these messages
1: His name is Oliver Queen. For five years he was stranded on an island with only one goal. Podcast. I mean, survive. Now he will fulfill his father's dying wish and bring down those who are poisoning his city. My name is Reese Parton.
2: And I am Lee
1: Busby. I am Dean Hill. And my name is Central JF. And we are the Undertankers. Like most criminal organizations in comics nowadays, we have turned good and we plan to tackle one episode of the new season of Arrow each week. Join The Undertaking at theundertakingpodcast.podomatic.com or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Arrow The Undertaking and also on iTunes. and more supermanhomepage.com
2: we now return to Superman and the Bronze Age and we are back now before we get to the next issue I want to bring something to your attention Um, now I'm pretty sure I announced this on the show but as you all know my wife and I are having a baby our very own little Superboy. And as such, we're needing to make some room in the house, which means that I need to get rid of a bunch of my comics. I'm actually giving away, not selling, but giving away most of my comic book collection. I'm keeping the Superman stuff, but I'm getting rid of everything else Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, Iron Man, some FF, some Justice League. I mean, everything must go. I'm not the only thing I'm asking is for payment to cover shipping. So, if you would be interested in getting some free comics, some basically free comics, uh, I've got a list of everything I'm getting rid of on my website at Superman, uh, Superman in the Bronze uh, There's a little page at the top, there's a listing of pages, and one page is comics for sale. Just click on that. And you will see all the comics I'm getting rid of. Uh, they're mostly from the '90s and early 2000s. There's some, there are some uh, '80s stuff in there, especially with the Batman and the Justice League, uh, and some of the Flash. Uh, Justice League. There's actually some pre-Crisis stuff as well, including stuff from the '60s and '70s. So uh, if you're interested in any of that, please uh, get in touch with me. Uh, Email in at uh, superbronze1970 at gmail dot com. Uh, again, all I'm asking is payment to cover the shipping. What I'll do is what I do is once you tell me if you're, that what you're interested in, I put it in a box. I get it. <clears throat> I get it weighed. I find out what your zip code is, or if you're international, I find out where the heck I'm sending it, uh... and I. Use that to use the shipping cost estimator on the website to find out how much it would cost to ship it. I let you know what that says. I ship if you're in the states, I ship it the cheapest way possible, which is media mail, which usually seems to be around five to six bucks. And well of course that's been some big packages, but anyway, um it's usually about five or six bucks. And then I let you know what that is. You send it you send the money to me however you want to send it paypal check money order i don't care as long as i get it uh and then once i get that i send it to you the money usually is pretty even so i'm not making any money you're not i'm not keeping any extra money nothing like that it's just going to be even trade i just i really need to get rid of these books this baby's coming in july and we got a lot to do before that and i've got a lot of comics i need to get rid of before we can or so we don't have to deal with that later. Otherwise, um, anything I don't sell, I'm just kind of sending to a... Some of them I'm going to send to a, uh, like a children's hospital, and some I'm going to put in Goodwill because some of the stuff really isn't for kids. I mean, something like Infinite Crisis, you know, where they're like poking people through the heads and heads exploding and things wouldn't be something I would want to give to kids. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. Anyway... So, you know, please check it out if you want to. um, Feel free. All right, moving along. Superman number 317 had a cover date of November 1977 and an on sale date of August 8th, 1977. And it also had a cover price of 35 cents. This cover's by Neil Adams. More on it later, but it looks really cool. The title of the issue is The Killer with the Heart of Steel written by Marty Pasco, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Dan Adkins, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Picking up directly from the end of the last issue, Metallo has to leave on urgent business, and while he's gone, Superman is awakened by water dripping down from the cave ceiling onto his face with really no energy left in his body. He slowly drags himself to the nearby stream and falls in, allowing the current to carry him away from the kryptonite. While he recovers in the water, uh, we get a nice little summary of the story thus far that he apparently kind of hallucinates about in puzzle piece form. Uh, But when we come back to the real world, Superman is flying into the city, right past the Welcome to Metropolis, Home of Superman sign, and he notices an armored car, which is an odd thing to see so late at night, as there aren't usually, uh, as there are usually armored cars out so late. An x-ray scan reveals that it's a lead-lined armored car, which also doesn't make sense due to lead being a soft metal. So he uses his heat vision to knock over a tree and block the armored car's path so it's forced to stop. Inside are a couple of... Uh, Inside are a couple of skull agents, and the one in the passenger seat fires off a missile, telling Superman that it has a warhead made of a substance that turns to antimatter at speeds greater than 100 miles an hour. Where where do people get that kind of technology? Anyway, so Superman dodges the missile because if it comes in contact with any kind of positive matter, it would cause an explosion that would pretty much tear the entire universe apart so Superman takes off after the missile to make sure it doesn't touch anything else uh, and in a move that laughs and I mean laughs, in the face of physics Superman lifts a section of a nearby suspension bridge out of the way as though it was a rubber band to prevent it from getting hit by the missile. Meanwhile in a fleabag hotel in Midtown Metropolis Metallo secretly uses Star's top secret experimental device a teleportation ray to teleport two va- two fake kryptonite rocks into the chest of the Skull agents we just left at the armored car, sending their hearts back to Metropolis' apartment and into a couple of jars. We also learned that the reason that Albert Michaels disappeared is that he went into hiding when he learned that Metallo was after him, as part of his revenge against Skull. Now, maybe it's just me, but I don't remember any reason why he's going against Skull. Maybe it's because of what they did to him, putting him in the Metallo body. It could also be because of the hair he had last time we saw him, but anyway, Metello's after Skull. Next, he heads out to recover Superman's body, which he believes is still down in the caverns. But Superman's actually still dealing with that anti-matter missile. With some super suction breath, he manages to finally slow the missile down enough for it to get below 100 miles an hour, which causes it to revert to positive matter so he can actually grab it and dismantle it. After doing so, he returns to the armored car and is shocked to see the skull agents dead from kryptonite in their chests, even though it's fake kryptonite. Uh, Next, he opens up the armored car to see what it was that they were transporting and finds out that inside is at least 100 pounds of kryptonite ingots. So after he shuts the door and recovers again from the kryptonite that he just was subjected to, he loads up the agents into the armored car and flies it to a police station. Meanwhile, at the state caverns, Metallo discovers that Superman is gone, and then heads back to the city to set in motion his plan to eliminate the last three Skull agents still alive. Later that morning, after the sun has risen, Superman returns to WGBS to do some work as Clark Kent, while wondering why Metallo only seems to attack Skull between 4 and 6 a.m. As he exits his favorite storeroom, as Clark Kent, he's met by Martin Corda, who gives him his script for the evening newscast, which now needs to be updated due to Superman delivering two Skull agents to the police, and Corda sends him to speak with Lois about it. After about an hour of taking care of the script, Clark thinks to ask Lois why she's in on this, and it turns out that it's due to her investigative series on Skull, kicked off by the fact that she found a Skull base in a recent issue of Superman Family. Plus, she just filed the story about the dead Skull agents about 10 minutes ago, as soon as the police released the news to the press. Now, I know what you're asking yourself. If the police just released the news about the dead Skull agents 10 minutes ago, how did Corda know about it an hour ago? Believe it or not, Clark's thinking the same thing. So he runs to Corda's office, which it turns out used to be his old office when he was associate producer of the newscast. And he's followed by Lois and who as he goes through his desk or as he goes through Corda's desk, finding books and personal papers that appear to prove something that we're not allowed to see. When Lois points out that Clark can't, that she can't cover for Clark and he can't even pretend that he thought it was still his old office because they took the old sign off the door, Something about hearing Lois say sign-off makes Clark think about radio waves, which causes something to click in his head. Again, we aren't allowed to know what that is yet. But before we can find out what it is, we shift to the skull base under a piano bar, where we learn more about the kryptonite pipeline, which apparently is still in full effect, despite that we're down to only three skull agents left. And then Metallo crashes the party after causing one of the walls to disintegrate. But before he can really do anything, Superman arrives and knocks Metallo off his glider, while Lois greets the police by asking why aren't they going in and arresting Metallo. Apparently, we learned that the police were called in by Superman. Superman learns the hard way that Metallo has placed a new chunk of kryptonite in his chest after the villain hits him with a kryptonite blast. While he recovers, Metallo hits Superman with the teleporter, switching their hearts, causing Superman to turn green and die from kryptonite poisoning. If you recall, specifically from that lovely episode of the Superpower of Galactic Guardians Superpowers Team, where Superman dies of kryptonite poisoning. Kryptonite causes Kryptonians to turn completely green, and once their blood completely converts to kryptonite, they are obviously dead. Well. Superman's got kryptonite in his chest now. It kills him. While Lois runs to Superman to check on him, Metallo shows off the heart in his chest before taking out the remaining skull agents. When Metallo and the agents all pull out some weird-looking guns that look like little toy pistols, well, futuristic toy pistols, all of the guns melt for some reason. At this point, all of the police officers standing around outside begin talking into their radio microphones which crowds the airwaves, causing Metallo's body to collapse. At this point, Superman gets up, revealing that he's fine, and explains to Lois what the heck just happened, while he's peeling off some of the green makeup he was wearing. See? Once Clark Kent told him who Metallo really was, he monitored Metallo with his super hearing, and discovered his plan for dealing with Skull and his plans for Superman's heart. So he went to Kandor and got the heart of a citizen who was killed that morning in an accident and put it in a lead container. When Metallo used his teleporter, Superman moved an invisible super speed to put the container in the path of the beam, sending the Cantorian Kantori- the Candorian heart into Metallo and the Kryptonite into the lead container. Then he used green makeup to make it look like he'd turned green and pretended to be dead. As for Metallo's body, apparently both it and the teleporter are powered by waves of energy transmitted from a power source. Waves that can waves that can be jammed by the strong presence of radio waves, which is why the police radios were able to take down Metallo. This also explains why Metallo, why Metallo only attacked Skull early in the morning after most of the radio stations had signed off for the night. See, back in the 70s, TV stations used to, to sign off after the late show, maybe midnightish, maybe 1230-ish, maybe 1 o'clock, and sign up for the evening. No broadcasting of anything except for like that long tone and some kind of a signal thing on the screen. Radios used to do the same thing but they went on a little longer apparently. Uh, and between the hours of four and six is when most of them had signed off for the for the night. This would allow Superman uh, Metallo to be at basically full power without any chance of any radio waves interfering with his body or with the teleporter. So Superman then removes Metallo's mask to reveal that he was in fact Martin Korda, which I believe I had that. As they all turn to leave, one of the Skull agents grabs Lois and removes his mask to reveal that he is, in fact, Albert Michaels. I did not see that coming. While while holding Lois at gunpoint, he orders Superman to set the controls on the teleporter. Then, swearing to rebuild Skull, he activates the machine and teleports away. Then Superman takes Metallo to a hospital before his body begins rejecting his Kryptonian heart. Later that day at a meeting at WGBS, Morgan Edge reveals that the real Martin Corda had been abducted by Matello, but has been found and will join the WGBS staff once he's been released from the hospital. But now comes the announcement we've all been waiting for. The new female co-anchor person for the 6 o'clock news. Someone compatible with Clark, and who has an impressive background in Metropolis television news. Clark's co-anchor is none other than... wait for it... Lana Lang. Okay, now, unfortunately, that little surprise, which I'm sure was pretty awesome and awe-inspiring, if you read it in person in 1977, when this issue came out, if you've listened to this show at all, you already knew about this, because I've covered issues later where Lana was definitely part of the cast. But, you know, if you pretend it's not so bad. Um, as far as notes for this issue let's see uh, starting off with the cover it's pretty interesting we get Neil Adams again and in the issue that pretty uh, in one of the issues that's bringing back kryptonite uh, we see him kind of doing a bookend uh, as you recall Superman 233. Uh, which has the famous Neil Adams cover of Superman Breaking the Chains was the issue that took kryptonite off the table. This helps bring kryptonite back to the Superman mythos and this one has a lot of the same colors. The background is yellow and orange and kind of red. Uh, Superman is front and center. There is some green on it but this time the green is because of the kryptonite in Superman's body turning him green. And while he looks very upset, he is flexing his muscles. He looks really... Really good. This is before Neil Adams went a little off on his art, uh, but this is a very awesome image. It's just beautiful. You'll see. You can see this on the uh, show posting, and if you're using an MP3 player to play this episode, it's tagged in the episode, or at least for me it will be once I get that far. Uh, page one with we where we pick up from the end of last issue. We have. Metalo basically standing on Superman, um talking about how Superman's gonna die, and he'll get his heart uh again, like last issue. There's a perspective problem on this one uh Metello looks small, and Superman looks like a giant almost or at least slightly bigger it, it it's It's a really weird perspective. I don't understand it um uh again, pages three and four, we see the flashback which is really cool because of the puzzle pieces these are very weird shaped puzzle pieces that you probably would not normally see in any puzzle especially in the 70s but you know uh page 10 now i like this scene of clark taking care uh, doing you know checking in on this as clark it gives it a very well not too much but it gives it a little bit of a post crisis feel because super, uh, Clark is taking the initiative to do, to check on this, not changing to Superman to check on this, or just checking things out by using his X-ray vision to look in on Martin Corda's desk or whatever. He's actually going in and investigating hands-on, even though it could get him in trouble. The only weird thing is, Lana, is Lois is kind of uh, being the chicken here. It's a little backwards. Um... <laughs> Moving along on page 11 with the skull base, their table is a skull. Looks like out of an 8-bit video game. It looks weird. but I mean, it makes sense, I guess, they are skull, but it, it looks kind of weird. Uh, page 13, now, looking at this after we know how the story ends and after we get the explanation of what happened with Superman, it, it's interesting that the his... In the image where he's getting hit by the teleporter beam, while his right hand is pretty visible, but sort of moving, his right hand is a little less visible in the image, and but and moving a little bit more. Now it turns out, if when you look at the next couple of pages, that that's the hand where he removed the cap, the lead capsule or container from his cape pouch to hold it up in front of the beam, and then put it back in his cape pouch after the teleport had been completed so it's kind of a nice little detail it kinda shows that they realized it even on this panel that swan had to draw that in it's just the little detail you can't see the left hand as much because it's busy doing a little bit more than just moving slightly it's doing the whole container bit that was really cool uh... like i said based on some of the stuff based on the just new introduction of Martin Korda last issue I kind of suspected that he was Metallo's new um, identity but I did not see this bit with Albert Michaels coming in I mean I know he was with Skull but I didn't think he'd actually wear the full Skull attire and it it just kind of came out of nowhere also since Superman set the controls I would think that Superman might be able to find out figure out where Michaels went but apparently he couldn't. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Now, this is the end of Dan Adkins' inking. Uh, starting next issue, Frank Ciaramonte starts, and he can basically is the Kurt Swan inker, well, for the most part, uh, anyway, uh, all the way through to into the, eight, into the early 80s. I want to say it's 81 or 82 before he relinquishes that. Uh, but that brings us to the end of the Superman section. uh... Basically, I have to say that both of these issues were a lot of fun. It's cool that they flowed so much off of each other, and technically we have a three-part story sto- that started last issue. Again, we're continuing a constant storyline instead of just looking in at episodes of a person's life, and, and I kind of like that. I, I I enjoy seeing that. But, now, it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show, as Dave Weeder presents DC Comics Presents, and this time he features a team-up with Superman and the Emerald Archer himself, Green Arrow.
1: Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice...
0: Hello, welcome once again to Dave Weeder Presents, looking at the team-ups between the Man of Steel and the DC Universe. This time around, I shamelessly ride the coattails of the mega-successful, mega-awesome TV show Arrow airing on The CW every Wednesday, conveniently tying into the show's return following the Olympics. Maybe I'm shameless, maybe I'm shrewd, as the old Superpowers commercials used to say, you decide. But more to the point, this episode we cover a team-up with Green Arrow, and the best part is the art is by Jose Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. This time around, it is DC Comics Presents number 20, the April 1980 issue, and the story was written by Denny O'Neill and is entitled Inferno from the Sky, which is actually completely false according to the story we will actually be reading. Nothing comes from the sky but Superman. The cover, by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, shows Green Arrow getting shot into the air by an erupting geyser as Superman rushes to save the Emerald Archer. But the cowboy below informs Superman that it is too late, the geyser is boiling hot. Okay, cowboys and an archer. This may be going down an odd path already, but let's break down the story a bit. We open as Superman casually speaks to some neighborhood kids, unaware of Fred Garner, a man in a cowboy hat trying to reach Clark Kent. As Garner leaves a message on Clark's answering machine regarding one Beau force, BO Force, B O, and the word force. Somebody takes a shot at Garmer with a gun, sending the cowboy running. Later, at the same Metropolis hotel where Garner is staying, Oliver Queen tries on his Green Arrow costume, which is apparently a new version made by Black Canary. And this is when he hears a shout from the hallway. When Green Arrow goes to check it out, he finds Garner shot by a pair of Stetson wearing assassins and chases them. One falls to a bolo arrow before making it very far, while the other makes it all the way to the roof, but hadn't counted on Green Arrow using an arrow to join him. But by the time Green Arrow gets back to Garner, the man dies after mentioning Beauforce and having enough fuel to last for years. While Superman does some random good deeds, helps an older couple with a changing of attire, Oliver Queen investigates Beauforce, who has found a geyser in the Southwest that acts as a powerful fuel, and a volatile fuel, which... I mean, it sets a car on fire with the potency. That should tell you something. Oliver is assaulted and escorted off the property. While back in Metropolis, Clark finally gets Fred Garner's message about Beauforce and feigns being sick to slip away from Lois and Jimmy. Back in the Southwest, Ollie has geared up as Green Arrow and flies in by plane, but meets with anti-aircraft cannons. The Emerald Archer parachutes down onto the property and fights Force's veritable army of cronies, but they overpower Green Arrow and take him prisoner. Green Arrow is placed on a scaffolding over the geyser. Remember, it's volatile fuel. Fire as soon as it hits air. And just as the geyser erupts, Superman saves Green Arrow from certain doom by freezing the spray. And the two get to work with Arrow rounding up bowforce's men and Superman working to stop the volatile reaction of the geyser. The nearby town is saved from geyser eruptions by the Man of Steel's quick thinking and plugging the open rifts. And bowforce is captured after trying to shoot Green Arrow. With a pair of arrows in his guns... Force is done for and Superman tells Force and Green Arrow and the audience that the geyser is now exhausted and will never erupt again. The end. Wow, this issue was... Wait, a geyser? We have the world's greatest hero, Superman, teaming up with the awesome Green Arrow, and they fight cowboys. Over a geyser! I, I-, I think I need an adult to explain this to me. Another thing I want to know is why is the first half of the issue all kinds of awesome? You have Green Arrow capturing a couple of murderers, using trick arrows, being snarky. You know, everything cool about Green Arrow. And the second half shows a moment of promise and then just decides to not even try. I mean, it's like a Major League Baseball game. Bases are loaded, bottom of the ninth, great lead, and the batter just hits the ball. It's heading over the wall for a home run. And he just decides not to run the bases. I mean, the story just stops being a story. And never mind that Superman spends 90% of the issue talking with kids, changing flat tires, I can deal with that because, as we're learning, we do shift the spotlight a bit in some of these stories to the guest. But to not bother to give us a substantial third act really torques me. I mean, the faltering begins with Green Arrow, captured, about to get fired by the geyser, and Superman rescues him. Great scene. And then nothing happens. Nothing of note. Nothing exciting. Nothing interesting. Superman does some completely unexciting feats, while Green Arrow effortlessly, seemingly, an off-panel. Off-panel rounds up Force's men to lead to this showdown between Force. And let's not even talk about the name of the villain. Bow Force? Bow? I get it. I mean, we get the spotlight on Green Arrow with a good setup for the climax's inevitable team-up. We're on formula, we are good, and then we shift the focus to Superman doing something we have seen Umpteen times. Why not treat us to at least a balancing, if nothing else, but a little bit more snark, a little bit more trick arrow? You know, the actual fight, which is way more interesting. And I hear you saying it, but Dave, the bad guys shoot Superman with a spray of the flammable geyser water. Who cares? Superman shakes that stuff off before breakfast. So the climax comes down to a quick draw contest with Force's men watching their surrounding, doing nothing at this point. It's a pair of guns in Force's hands versus Green Arrow's bow. It happens so quickly in just a couple of panels that there's nothing dramatic about this, there's no suspense, and honestly no interest. And I wouldn't be quite as annoyed if we weren't getting a dud of a Green Arrow story from Denny O'Neill, the guy that arguably put Green Arrow on the map. The guy who took Green Arrow from a Batman ripoff, with a bow, just being honest, and made him a viable enough character to inspire a hit TV show. Really? Really. Okay, I've ragged on the story a bit. It's just going to be more ranting if I continue down that path. But now comes the obvious part. The art of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Of course it's magnificent. He's Lopez. Green Arrow looks boss. Superman looks amazing. Even the lame villain Beau Force looks fantastic. It's just too bad such a great artist was given a throwaway story, which is the comic equivalent of lighting a 4th of July sparkler, seeing it flare up for a moment, and then watching it burn out after seconds. But... You know what? Them's the breaks. If they were all great, we would have no barometer for good or bad. And that's it for me. I'm going to drown my sorrows in cherry coke while I attend my monitor duty. Back to you, gnarly Charlie Niemeyer in the studio.
2: Alright, thanks Dave. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. Just three more before we get to episode 100. Can you believe that? I mean, 100 episodes. I never thought I'd get past the third one. Wow. Anyway, next time Superman meets Peg Leg Portia, or Portia, depends on how you want to say it, and battles some kind of a monster. Plus... Dave brings us a team up with Dr. Fate so make sure you come back in just two weeks for more Bronze Age goodness we shall see you then you have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weider show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more you can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio as well as Facebook where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted superman of the bronze age is a proud member of both the superman podcast network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the comics podcast network at www.comicspodcasts.com please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts superman was created by jerry siegel and joe schuster and is copyright dc comics thank you so much for listening and god bless Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.